Uprising podcast family and welcome to another episode. Now if you are fresh and new to Reggae Uprising podcast it is all about connecting the African diaspora through wisdom, overstanding, inspirational stories all backed by a soundtrack of sweet reggae music. So each and every Wednesday we feature a new guest who shares their works, their wisdom, their life's journey and inspirations alongside seven reggae selections. Now, occasionally we do also have a special series and special editions where we might focus on a historical period of time. We might focus on a specific brother or sister's works or we might focus on a specific subject that you as the listeners have requested that we delve a little bit deeper into. Also, occasionally when we feature our guests for their interviews. Sometimes the interviews run a lot longer than the usual hour that we try to keep each episode to. This is the case with this episode, as this is part two of Einalik Wilmot's interview. So if you haven't already listened to part one, stop what you're doing right now, go and listen to last week's episode and then come back to this one. If you haven't already subscribed to Reggae Uprising podcast, please do so wherever you are listening. More love to those of you that have already subscribed. But the best place to subscribe, if you haven't already subscribed there as well, is of course via daniel.live, which is D-A-N-I-E-A-L dot live. That link is in the description. And of course, Fresh and new to 2024, we have dgarms.com. So if you go to dgarms, you can get all of your high frequency clothing, including, of course, the Reggae Uprising podcast official clothing line. So all you need to do is go to dgarms.com. That link is in the description. And like I said, you can check out all of those high frequency clothings. Let us know which are your favorite designs. There are plenty there to choose from. Also, let us know why they're, fav- why they're your favorite designs and which ones you purchased. And when you make those purchases, please make sure to send us an picture through and I'm sure we can get you featured on the site as well. So that's dgarms.com. Right, it's about time that we jumped straight back in to Einalek Wilmot's interview part two. So we talked a little bit earlier about, uh, we talked about your childhood at different at different aspects earlier on. Um, speaking of your school days, though, you mentioned about your brother's experience at school. What were your experiences like at school growing from a young boy up to an adolescent? Okay, uh, so school for me was like, so we, in Jamaica we have, you know, we have the, I went to kindergarten. Some people go to basic school, mine was called kindergarten. And then primary, um, then to high school before going to university. Um, primary, kindergarten was, was it was, what was my kindergarten? Actually, it's so long ago, but um, I actually have good memories. I love my teacher. Um, Miss Farkison, I remember. Um, <laughs> I remember some of my teachers from Miss Smith, um, Miss Brady. The, 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 my 
know, funnily, my primary school teachers probably stand out more than any other teachers in in, in life. But um, they were very caring. It was a very protective school. I remember just really feeling like they really cared about the safety of the kids. You know, even like the security guard at school, making sure people get into school safely in the morning. It just felt like a really safe, comfortable environment. It was not, uh, um, it was not, uh, it was in a kind of middle class, lower middle class community. A lot of the kids came from walking distance to the school. So kids would walk to school and walk home from school um, every day. It was, it wasn't in my community. Uh, so, that was that was interesting, but at that time, I, I think kids are kids. You know, I think kids are really kind of pure and and innocent. You know, kids kids don't really discriminate. You know, not so much kids. More the power dynamics in a, in a in a first grade classroom is is either more around like bully, maybe there's a bully, um, maybe these two kids like to play together or the bullies. The, the broader cultural context kind of disappeared. So that, I had a great experience and going up, especially earlier years of primary school then. Um, towards the later years of school, I think, I remember one time a teacher saying like, like asking, telling other kids to go to me for um, answers to, to questions or things they didn't understand. I remember like spelling as well. Um, they would say, go and ask. And like, how to spell the word, you know? And I, at that time, I thought that was weird because, you know, she's a teacher. Why is she sending people to me? But then as I kind of was going through school, I realized that, um, kind like, academics came easier to me than it came to some. Um, also, having grandparents from Canada, we were basically bilingual. Uh, we spoke English to my grandparents, and then to everybody else, we talk Patois. So at school, straight Patois. Um, to our teachers, they speak English somewhat, <laughs> and a mixture. Um, but every, the only persons I really spoke standard English with were my two grandparents. And so at school, I realized that in Jamaica, that we are a bilingual country. Functionally, we're bilingual. But the education system didn't really treat with people as if we are bilingual, you know? So a simple example is, um, like, it, just a simple sentence, like, um, you know, where are you, where, like, um, maybe, when, when do you, when would you like your coffee, you know? Um, the Jamaican would say something like, you ready for your coffee? Uh, you want a coffee now? You know, the, 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 the verbs and things get moved around, you know? Instead of I, you say me, you, you know? Me want, instead of I want. It's like the grammar, the whole structure of the language is different. And I realized that I could jump from one to the other. But a lot of the other kids, it's like learning a brand new language with a whole different structure. Uh, um, so... I started to realize I had an advantage there, but I didn't know it. Um, and then also that certain things came easier to me. I was like a good student. And um, going from primary school now, yeah, I think I think I was I had some confidence. 
in my abilities, you know, and I think the school did a good job in preparing us that way too. And um, so I ended up, my brother had gone to Kingston College, which is like a traditional high school and seen as like a good school. And so I got into that school as well. I did the, in, in, um, in those days, you could do your school leaving exams in grade five and grade six. So they would allow you the chance to do it in grade five. If you didn't qualify for high school, you'd then go to grade six and then you'd do the exams again and you could qualify. So I had actually passed my exams in grade five and skipped grade six and gone straight to grade seven into high school. Um, I think when I got to high school now is when I started to experience more, I guess like, older kids, more prejudice, um, as well as, but fortunately, like, my brother was there for a year before, so he kind of had already kind of established the, himself and the, the fact that there's a Rasta kid at school, one Rasta kid amongst the thousands of kids in the school now, you know, and um, so for me, it was a little easier stepping in. Um, however, I had skipped a year and I started to feel that, like, that, that skip. <laughs> you know, I was able to pass exam and enter, but, you know, the, the persons who did grade six, I feel like they, they had a little advantage there of spending more time on the material. So they, when they came into it um, to start, they were much more familiar, it seemed like, or acquainted with some other concepts. Um, but yes, at school, it started to, I mean, we used to get teased a lot. Um, Holy Parasta joke. Yeah. And anybody who grew up as Rasta know them, you know, and anybody who grew up with Rasta probably tells some of them so they know them too. But, you know, Rasta, your comb drop, like you're walking, someone say, Rasta, your comb drop, if you, if you look, them laugh, you know, because somebody say, hey, Rasta, your comb drop, and you look, and then laugh after you. And, um, you know, like we used to wear, we used to wear, I have to wear Tam to school, so like a hat cover your hair in school and people like run up behind you, drag off your thumb. Um them kind of thing there. Um tell you feel them feel lights that drop out their head and all kind of things. Uh, it was like very, very common. And then after a while like you get accustomed to it. People they tell the joke so many times it, it not, it's not funny anymore. Until they kinda got kinda just blend into your, your environment and it's just there. Um, and then, but every time we'd go out into the, you know, like walking home from school, you'd get it from kids from other schools. Um, I think, like, even like going out, I didn't go out much to any parties and them kind of thing. I just never really feel welcome a lot of the time, never feel accepted. Um, so... That was, that was a big part of it. But then, you know, my, my school experience um, was a good school, educationally. Casey is also, it's a school that was formed in downtown Kingston, so in, surrounded by poor communities, but I guess just had some really good teachers and, and rose to be one of the top-performing schools, high schools, you know, in Jamaica. So the... the school spirit is very strong, very, very strong. Um, the, the kids love the school. The 
teachers were very invested. Um, yeah, so I had a very good educational environment. I did well. I realized that, you know, like school, school wasn't something that was terribly difficult for me. I, I never really tried very hard, actually, in high school. I, I kind of cruised through, um, but, you know, did, did fairly well, um, graduated well, and, uh, yeah, so, so my experience, I guess, had friends too, you know, I had some good friendships at school, the people in your class, people who sit down beside you, um, some great bonds were created, and all in all, you know, a, a good experience, and, you know, I think there are things that happen in childhood, and I think as like I'm a parent now, have a daughter, she's 13, I'm going to high school, and like I realize that those things, they're tough, but you have to face them. It's not good to shelter, and it actually makes you have a better perspective. Even like all the bullying and all of that, I don't regret it. You know, because people are people. It's better you know that people are capable of this than you grow up thinking that people are not capable of this. You know, so all in all, uh, all in all, I call myself fortunate. We're going to move on to another one of your selections, which is Bob Marley, Concrete Jungle. Please, can you tell us why you chose this selection? All right, so Concrete Jungle for one, um, I think it's a beautifully written song. Uh, just the movement, the chord changes, the, the atmosphere of the song. Um, it's a beautiful song. Like, I don't, I don't think, as a songwriter, yeah, um, you, you, sometimes you hear a song and it's like, man, I wish I could write that song. I wish I could write that. I wish I had written that, you know, because as a songwriter, you, you, the experience of creating a song is, is, is a great feeling for the words to come to you and you're selecting the words and the mood is coming to you and you're experiencing that song becoming a song. Like I can only, I can't imagine, sometimes I try to imagine what was he thinking, what was he feeling when he made that decision to go to that chord or to, you're going along with this feeling and then you change the feeling to that. Like what was that experience, you know? So I, I just love the song. I think it's a great song. And, um, just generally, but I had to have a Bob Marley in there just because um, he's one of my favorite songwriters. And um, I think he was so unique at his time. If you listen to the music that was produced at the similar time, so unique. You know, and this song really kind of, in terms of his songwriting ability, the, the uniqueness of the soundscape that he creates, um, the... The song is it, like, you know, you have songs that are trying to yeah, have a hook or to, you know, you, you're trying to capture an audience or you're trying to please people with the song. A lot of songs, they feel it that, oh, this is a dance song. It's trying to get you to move your feet. It's trying to get you to this or to do whatever or to repeat this line over and over. Um, this song, it doesn't try to do any of that. 
it's just like a melody going through this soundscape and it's you know it's just like pure expression so i love that here we go with bob marley concrete jungle of your experiences after high school? Alright, so after high school um, so before after high school so when we, when we finish our high school in grade 12 then we have 6th form um, which is actually 2 years uh, grade 12 and grade 13 it's kind of equivalent to doing uh, associate's degree and so I, I started that program and I actually dropped out, even despite being a good student, um, leaving, finishing high school on the honor roll, um, and then going on to sixth form, which sixth form, you had to have, make a minimum, 
minimum requirement to be accepted into this form. I was accepted into this form. And then I, I think I just kind of lost a sense of direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, I decided the things I was studying in sixth form, I didn't really feel like I cared about them too much. And um, I just told my parents, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to... I'm gonna stop. I don't think I wanna do this. And at the time, you know, we have family in Canada, so I was thinking I'd probably try to explore going to Canada and doing something there. Um, you know, my my brother also had done that. He was he went to Canada and I was doing school there. So I was thinking to do the same. And I ended up just out of school, kinda lose my way a little bit and um I missed a few months of the last few months of the first year of sixth form. And then over the summer now, I still hadn't decided what I wanted to do. And my parents were like, hey, either you're going to do something or you're going back to school, the sixth form. And then I was like, all right. And I went to six, back to school. Um, I remember my grandmother also carried me up to the university. And I met with um, one of the lecturers there. And because she was asking me what I'm interested in, I said, well, I like biology. I think marine biology would be cool. Because, you know, I grew up by the sea, love the sea, grew up surfing. You know, I, I feel like I care about the sea. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I think I'd like to do marine biology. And so she, she said, you know, they offer that here. And so we went up and we met with one of the lecturers and I said, okay, this is, this is cool. I like it. I, I want to do it. Went back to school, had to talk to the vice principal. And um, yeah, at that time, I guess she knew I was a good student. So she said, hey, um, it's going to be tough. You miss a lot of school. And I didn't do the exam at the end of the last, the first year. And I'm coming, so I'm going to like have a heavy load um, up until the, the end of the year and then have to do it. At that time, it was um, A-levels that we did, the Cambridge exams. And so I, at that time, you did two years of study and then you do the one exam at the end. Now they break it up where you do an exam at the end of the first year. So because of that, I didn't, even though I've missed my end of year exams, I wouldn't count towards the final exam. So I had to catch up three months and then I'd already missed another month. So I'd like missed out on four months of school and I had to catch up while trying to keep up and to do the exam to qualify for university. And that period of time was honestly the hardest schooling I've ever done. <laughs> It was the toughest schooling I've ever done. Um, but I managed to get through and like barely pass some subjects. Other subjects I was more comfortable with. And um, yeah, so I did biology, geography, chemistry, and then there was general paper, which is like essay writing. And um, yeah, barely passed chemistry. Chemistry was tough. Biology, I was comfortable. Geography, I was, I was okay. Um, but the chemistry was tough. <laughs> and then um, the, the essay writing, the general paper, I remember there was 
while in Jamaica. And I ended up getting the highest grade for the year for all the students sitting the exam that year at my school um, in that. And I remember the, because the English teacher who had come to me and say, you know, this is the first time that someone from the science stream has ever won, gotten the highest grade in the writing exam. And um, I ended up getting like a prize for it when I was leaving school as well. Um, but yeah, so it was tough, but I guess that was like a little cherry on top um, for, for that experience. And then I, I went off to university and did fairly well in my first semester did kind of poor in my second semester and at the end of the year there was a course that I didn't have um I didn't I didn't do enough during the during the year to get the high enough course grade so I was gonna fail because I would even if I passed the exam I was gonna fail but so I ended up not doing the exam and they, they advised me not to do the exam so I got an absent but they still gave me a zero. So it brought down my, my GPA way down. And um there was another exam, there was another course that I got a passing grade, but I ended up failing because like, I failed part of the paper, even though the overall thing was, and so I got a zero on that. So GPA, you get a zero if you fail. Um, and then I got a reset, and they changed the date of the exam. And so I missed, I was absent for the reset, and they gave me another zero, two zero for the same course. And so my GPA went way down. And then um, at that point, I realized there was a lecturer who was talking to me and said, you know, we were the first year at UWE, University of Western is that did a GPA system. And so at that point now, they said, he explained, you guys are the first year to do a GPA. Do you understand this thing? And they said, all right, previous to this, if you did a course and you fail and you did a reset, even if or if you got a grade and you wanted a better grade and you read it, if you got a, a lower grade the second time, they would still use a higher grade once they're calculating it to class A degree. But with GPA, nothing is forgiven. Everything stays on your record. So if you get, if you fail and you get a zero in a course and then you pass the course and you get a hundred, your GPA is going to average to 50, you know, 50% of what it would be. It, 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 in, towards that course, you know, so he says it's unforgiving, and so at that point I ended up buckling down, and I was like, all right, I did some math, and I was like, all right, if I want to get the upper second class degree, I have to go get straight A's for my last two years in order to get nothing to get a first class, just so the upper second class, and so I think that motivated me, and I started studying hard, and um, ended up. I never got straight A's, but I, I didn't. I got B plus and higher for all of my courses from second year to final year. And then one day, I had a friend who, like, the exam results came out, they post them on this notice board with your ID number. So I have a friend call me up, hey, Annie, she repeat my ID number to, you, to me and say, This is your ID number, right? I say, Yeah. And she said, You realize you, you got like first class honors? I was like, What? I almost get first class, I didn't get straight A's, I, should, I shouldn't even get the upper second. And then find out that they didn't count the first year. And so 
that just kind of motivated me, but it didn't count. But I guess it counted for me because then I was like, I was really hard. And um, yeah, so that experience now, I guess the big takeaway for me was um, well, I, I learned how to learn. I learned how to study. Um, I learned how to be focused, how to be disciplined. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was really good. Um, so that that was my academic experience. Um, ended up going off and going on and doing a master's in marine biology after that. And, but um, in terms of the social side, now at university, as I say, it was a time when persons were just, you know, kind of experiencing freedom. So there's a lot of a mix and I went to an all boys high school so it was like being around a bunch of girls in a learning environment again um very very new for me and um you know being a rasta was you know it was it wasn't it wasn't as didn't stand out as much because other people started wearing locks at that time so it didn't stand out but you would have certain conversations with people and you know, persons, especially people who are religious, they would like have conversations with them. So, um, yeah, and but but all in all, good, great experience. Um, I, I love being around people who are focused, who are, you know, have on a mission, a personal mission, a personal journey to achieve their own goals, and we're kind of doing it in parallel. So, it was, it was, it was a really good, solid experience. We're going to move on to another one of your selections, which is Dennis Brown. Take it easy. Why did you pick this selection? Um, this one, I just love this song. Um, I love I love Dennis Brown's voice as well. One of the great Jamaican voices, you know. And um, there's an extended version that I really love. Like, it, was, it just it sings the song and then there's the instrumental and it just, it just goes on. And uh, just, just the vibe. Um, this it, to me is like so, so. With reggae music, it's very simple. It's it's complex, but it's simple. And um, that each each like parts to a whole. Uh, so so you have the different instruments, and I realize with with reggae, uh, it creates it's the, it's the whole music that is the vibe. It's not just any one instrument. You know, if you listen to each instrument individually for some, especially some of those older recordings, it's like, this thing is just doing a little simple thing. And that other, you know, this, this other instrument is just doing a little simple thing. And this, But then the, the music, it feels like it's just, it's pulsing and, uh, you know, it just has this pulse to it. And it's not like super perfect in terms of timing. It don't sound like a perfect, I think like, no, with music, everybody wants like perfect timing. You know, even when you're recording, they record it, you record to a click, and it's like everything must be like perfectly lined up and clean, you know? But like these old recordings, like sometimes it speed up, sometimes it slow down, it kind of pulse, and it have this very organic feel to it. So I just, I just love this song. Like, I'll just put it on and, and just get in that zone. Here we go with Dennis Brown, Take It Easy. Take 
right there with you. Easy, take it easy. Do what you can do. I'll be right there with you. Do what you can do. I'll be right there with you. Oh, easy, take it easy. What make you so rough? Yeah, easy, take it easy. You're too rough. And that you're too tough. Say that you're too rough. And that you're too tough. Oh, no, Come along now, now, oh, 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 now, oh, 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 take it easy now, oh, yeah. easy, take it easy, what make you so rough? definitely want to dive deeper into the world of surfing and your works in marine biology but before we do that we want to hear a bit more about your musical works as the selection that well one of the selections that you picked is a collaboration with um one of your from one of your musical works so can you tell us more about your own musical experience and where it's taken you all right so um yeah, for, for us, I mean, music was just something that was organic. We did it at home. My father taught us to play, you know, I learned to play the guitar, the bass. My brother, we were just playing, writing songs, no real goal art, you know. We're not trying to do anything, you know, trying to be professional musicians. We just, you know, I, I started writing songs very early. Um, I guess my father, I was just trying to do what he was doing and my brothers and I would then do what I see my father do, you know, make the songs into a song and we used to, all of us learn to play and then we'd like come up with different musical parts and it was, it was great, one of, one of our pastimes and I ended up writing a whole heap of songs, you know, always writing and uh, my brother Aika too would write as well, he's written some songs and we just play them and 
then we got to a certain stage and we were like around 15 or so where we just be at home rehearsing, rehearsing, playing, rehearsing with no goal. And then um, my father was like, all right, what are you guys doing with your songs? You're just going to rehearse, rehearse, you're not going to perform. And then so the first time we performed, it was actually a friend from high school who was playing. He used to play drums in a marching band. And so he you know, started playing the, the drum set at, at home that we had there and yeah and then we, we ended up playing a, a show one show out um this friend of the family named norman he said you know he wanted to be our manager <laughs> and so he used to manage another band which kind of fell apart and then he you know he was like yeah you guys want to be our manager um so we, we ended up performing he took us to a show and we perform and people liked a couple of our songs and i was like all right cool you know um and then we um, started playing out a little bit more, got to a couple of little live music events that used to happen around Kingston. Um, there's that thing called Say Something, which was really a poetry show, uh, but they did music there, so we performed there sometimes. There was, um, what they call it, um, I think a thing used to happen at weekends. I think it was on Thursday night thing. Yeah, I don't remember the name of the venue or the event, but they used to have live music. They would perform there as well. And they, but there weren't a lot of places to perform. And then you had an underground, like, alternative and rock music scene. I used to love to play the guitar, right? So, and so a lot of my songs, when I start out, they're like strumming on the guitar. It's not like a reggae song, you know? And then you, as you build the instrumentation, and some of them would be reggae, some of them would be kind of like more soft, rock kind of not heavy metal kind of grungy more just like strumming and thing you know so i had a lot of songs like that and then some reggae songs as well. i think in the beginning it was more like strumming songs and then you know some reggae songs here and there and a couple of scare songs as well and then um after a while we start leaning more and more into reggae um a friend of ours jeremy ashburn his two parents taught at the school of music and very good musician like and then another friend called lauren coach um so his, his family i think his aunt susan coach was a recording artist as well lauren came out to audition for my father's band but at the time it was right when my father had stopped touring and stuff so he says hey this, maybe you can't play, you won't play with my son you know he had a, lauren the guitarist he had just dropped out of school saying going pursue music come home took his money that he got to go to school and buy a guitar and a guitar amp and he was going to pursue music. We were doing it more like a hobby at this time, you know? Uh, but he wanted to, like, really pursue. So he used to, like, come out to the house, like, a couple of days of the week well and we start practicing. He joined our band and, yeah, he, he was really good. Like, the best, really better than me on the guitar, you know, better than any of us in terms of instrument. He was started studying music, eventually got off and did a degree in music. Um, and then Jeremy, he, both of his parents were teaching music. Lauren and Jeremy were friends first. And then Lauren brought Jeremy out and started, play, both of them started playing in the band. And then, so we were writing the songs and then they were like elevating it. Jeremy was a really good drummer. And so, you know, a lot, some reggae, but like a lot of more kind of alternative rock kind of, kind of songs. And we started, it was an underground scene doing that kind of music, you know. Um, and so we would go to events and play at those events. But even then, it was not, like, a lot of um, 
lot of music events. And then um, I remember one time after we played at an event in town, uh, me and my brothers were like, okay, why not just, why don't we start an event? Because we have these, the instruments at home. Basically, we have everything we need. When we go to the shows and, and play, what they have there is what we have at home. You know, so we're like, all right, let's, let's, just, let's just try it. You know, and uh, let's just do it. And so um, we thought that the surfing community would co- is who we, we thought would can like invite us because we're the people we knew. Invite out all the surfers, can invite some musicians to, and people come out and play. <laughs> and um, so we started Jamnesia, Jamnesia session. And um, it took a while to start up. It was slow at first. Not very many people would come out, but we and then like a whole heap of people from the community around. Um, come who want to be a DJ, who want to be a singer, and of course, the the type of music that people would want to come and sing is more reggae, you know. And we had reggae songs as well, as well as other types of songs and things, you know. We really experimented all over the place, um, but it, it the the show really took on more of a reggae tone. And um, at the time, a lot of the small events around Kingston was not reggae. You know, it was different types of music. The big concerts were reggae, but you didn't have small reggae events around town. So it became like this only reggae live music, small scale event happening around Kingston. And so um, a lot of people started coming out and it started a lot of young bands, too, like some bands from Edna Manley, like Raging Fire, um, Pentatush some other musicians, little bands who never really made it outside of Edna Manley but were like playing together at school, started coming out and it started to be a place where if you're an aspiring band, especially playing reggae music, there's this event happening every other Saturday where you can go out and, you know, a a whole stage set up for a live band and you can come and you can do five minutes or ten minutes or whatever. And so it was just the right place at the right time, I think. And also the, the environment that we created was um, very family friendly and very supportive, you know. Um, people came and just did the original music, it was a lot of covers, just a lot of original music. People who'd never been on stage but used to write songs in their bedroom or whatever would um, come and go on stage for the first time, and you know. So it, it, it became just like a melting pot. And um, a lot of persons who are now well-established in the music industry started out, you know, at least part of their journey was going to Jamnesia and going on stage and, you know, performing with musicians for the first time. Like with Protégé, um, he had just kind of started performing in and around Kingston and came out and used to come out every time and, he said, he said the first time he performed with musicians was when he came to Jamnesia. And, um, yeah, we even used to, like, play, our band used to play for him during, like, the early part of his career. Uh, before he put his band together, we used to do a lot of shows with him. And, um, yeah, then, like, Janine used to come out a lot um, before she even, like, she, she was fresh out of school, she would come out and perform. She wasn't trying to be a, at least it doesn't, didn't seem like she was trying to be an artist at that time. She just was exploring it, you know. And um, the Nomad 
used to be they hear a lot. We knew them from KC, from school. Um, yeah, a lot, lot of artists, and yeah, well, it just became this thing, <laughs> and um, so that that was that was kind of. It, it, it allowed me to meet a lot of persons who are coming up in the industry and get to play with them, help them as well. You know, like persons would, because it was, it was a true jam, right? So someone would come on stage and they would, um, hey, I have a song. I'm like, all right, we've never heard it before. Sing a part of it. We'd like literally just come up with an instrumental to try and match the song right there on the stage. And um, sometimes they would say, like, oh, man, I love that. You know, maybe record a little piece of it, and then that would help them in the writing process of their song. Or um, persons would start coming out and say, even not, not on a Jamnesia night, but come and say, hey, I have this idea. You can help me, like, come up with a, with the, you know? And so um, we started just helping a lot of people. To put music to their songs, or even you know, giving um, input into the into the, the process. That that's where like collaborating started with me. Where I started because before that, this, the songwriting process is really a personal process for me. Ninety um, percent of the songs that I write, I never perform. It's you know, it's, a, it's really just a handful of them. You, you take them all, take them to the even the band. Or um, to to the stage, even because some things you develop with the band is like, oh, that's weird, <laughs> you know. Um, so you try something different, you try something new, and this isn't something that we would perform, but it's fun to like experiment with it, you know. And then a lot of the songs that I would, like sit and just write by myself on my guitar, it's not even a song I would say. All right, this isn't really a song that I would even do with the band, you know. Um, I've given away a couple of songs like that, that I write the song and it's like, oh, this is not, not really for me, you know, and just give it to someone who, who might want it. And so, yeah, so at that point, I started, like, collaborating more. Um, and then my sister-in-law, Olivia, her band Earth and the Fullness, um, one of the bands I'm really active with, uh, we did an EP project together, it's called Yuya. She's a great songwriter, really great songwriter. Um, and reach, like, I would say, you know, because I produce the, the EP, but I feel like we co-produced, but it was so collaborative. I wanted to make the change to live my life in the portion of overflow I need to be. that I, I'm interested in, in how, 
know, it, it's such a complex process to record a song and to um, like get it sounding right. And there's a whole political thing in terms of, um, you know, you play like you play a guitar by itself, it sounds great. You play a keyboard and a guitar together. This the way how they're interacting might be creating this like a weird frequency somewhere and it's like you have to know how to get rid of that but still get keep the essence of both instruments you know so like it's almost like this academic process for me to like understand how you the recording process and so i got into that and and produced that i never really was aspiring to be a producer but um ended up doing that and also um, I had written a song for my father um, that was on his um, his his album called Are You Ready? So I ended up like producing that one. Stepping out of Babylon one by one now. Are you ready? Long time we trudging and we spiritually strong now. Are you ready? Rasta man ready for the revolution. Are you ready? 400 years, but it won't be too long now. Are you ready? My brothers, oh my sisters, are you ready? Sons and daughters, friends and neighbors, keep it steady. Trotting on Zion, we not take no back lane. It'll be such a beautiful day when we trotting in the motherland and in and now. Are you ready? My father also had a bunch of songs, and during the during the pandemic, he decided to just do an album, and we we recorded a full album at home on our veranda. So um, like that was also just. So organic, um, just with the equipment we had on a laptop, and we just recorded that whole, our, like maybe eight songs on the album, right on our veranda. Um, yeah, so kind of how I got into like working with others and you know doing a little bit of production and writing and helping persons write and all of those aspects. You know. I know this is a difficult question, but do you have any favourite songs that you've written? Uh, that I've written? Um, hmm. You know, um, there's, there's a few. There's a few. Um, there's a song that I wrote called Without End. I, I, I haven't really released any music myself, you know, um, but there's a, there's a song that I've written called Without End, and it's really one of those songs where it's more academic, you know, it's like the mood and the vibe, I, I don't know if it's something that people would like, you know, but like, it, it makes me feel good, and then um, the song, so Lila, Lila's Ike's song, um, that that we had, you know, I had written a song with her, um, the stars align. That was the the third verse in that song was actually another song that I was writing, 
And um, I, I really had liked that vibe. And then that song, when she was writing the song, and she had asked me to like help her. She had the instrumental, and she she liked the instrumental, and but she didn't really feel like she had. She didn't really have her finger on what she wanted, and so we got together and we started right, working on the song. She wrote most of the, the words. I kind of gave her my input in terms of melody and, and structure and so. And then um, she ended up taking, had just one verse for this song that I was writing, and she ended up just taking it and sticking it into as her third verse for, the, for that song. You play me beautiful music each morning. which she is one of your selections. Uh, you've selected her song, Second Chance. Why did you choose this selection, please? All right, so the song, Second Chance, um, I love that song. Um, all of Jamaica love that song. Uh, so the thing is, when I met her, the, she had just shot the music video for that and it hadn't come out as yet. And so she had shared it with me and the lyrics were so unique. Like some of the things that she was saying in the song, I thought the lyrics were so unique. Um, and then the, the whole, the narrative of the song, you know, it was very vulnerable. And I feel like within Jamaican popular music, and especially at the, the time when like dancehall was big and, you don't really have vulnerability being a thing in in the music, but it was like completely vulnerable, and um, and so her as well. You know? Like how she delivered that song is one hundred percent her, you know. Um, so I guess that that personal attachment to the song, um, the instrumental, you know, um, iconic. Uh, uh, the, um, Miss Land. <laughs> um, thing there. So, yeah, so it is a special song, you know? And, and she's, she's really a, a great friend to me as well, you know? So, like, um, I love that song. 
I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Please make sure to check out the links in the description if you'd like to connect with this week's guest. Also, if you'd like to connect with us here at Reggae Uprising Podcast, please go to daniel.live. So that's D A N. I-E-A-L dot live. Go to the contact page there. Connect with us. You can subscribe via Danielle.live as well. Also, as I said earlier, we have dgarms.com where you can get that high frequency clothing, including, of course, the Reggae Uprising podcast official clothing line, D-G-A-R-M-S.com, dgarms.com. That link is also in the description as well. Make sure you're back here next Wednesday for part three of this interview, the final part of this interview. I hope you have a wonderful week. Of course, we're going to leave you with some high frequency sounds. Until then, and as always, blessed love. Especially the robot door